0: Good morning, Genesis. How are we doing today? Doing well? Sorry, I had to get all my my stuff out here. I'm a little out of breath. How how out of shape do you have to be to be out of breath to move that little? Wow. Well, hey, it's good to be with you this morning. If you're new today and you by chance came last weekend when we didn't have water, I just want to say thank you so much for coming back. We really appreciate that you're here, and I hope that you'll join us at Intro to Genesis after our second service today. We'd love to meet you there. Um, So for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here, and I am known far and wide for my skills as a handyman, okay? And a few weeks ago, my friend Sam just laughed at me. Gosh, Sam, come on. Um, A few weeks ago, my wife came to me and said, hey, I've got a project that I want us to work on together in our boys' room. And I thought, okay. And then she said, it's okay, I've got a picture from Pinterest to show you. And guys, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I thought, good, Pinterest, okay, good. She handed me the phone. I thought, uh, oh, and it was was like the world's easiest project. I knew immediately I've got all the tools to do this. I know how to do this one. And so I just want to show you, here's the finished product right here. It's a shelving unit in our boy's bedroom, complete with at the bottom there, you see that little Lego building area. Isn't that nice? Right now, if you're handy at all, even in the least, you're like, that's no big deal. It's the easiest project ever. I know. But here's what you need to know, I have a little bit of a track record, okay? I take the simplest projects like this and I make them complicated. I don't mean to, it just happens and this really simple project would be no exception to that rule. So we start putting up the brackets on the wall and that goes along okay and we put the little shelf Holders on there, and then we get all the measurements for the shelves. And then I get to use this really nice saw that my in laws gave me a couple years ago for Christmas. And so I start cutting shelves with this guy cut the first shelf, great, cut the second shelf, great, cut the third shelf, and then something magical happens. Check this out oh, yeah, I cut the power cord, yeah, isn't that great? And so Um, I didn't really know what to do. There was a spark, there was a sound. My wife just walked away. And so I got a little news for you. That's why I hate home improvement projects right there because that is how they always end up without fail. It doesn't matter how simple it is. I do something like that and here's the thing, it makes me feel like an absolute failure. I get really mad. I am not proud of any of this. This is like confession for me, okay? I get really mad, I get really frustrated, I do and say things that are embarrassing, and I feel like an absolute failure. And no one likes to feel like a failure, right? I mean, by show of hands, does anybody like that feeling of knowing that you're failing at something or getting ready to fail at something? Of course not, right? Of course not. And it's, but here's the thing, you gotta, we, gotta, we gotta give ourselves a little bit of grace because failure is just part of life, right? I mean, is it possible to go through life and not fail at something or not fail at many things all the time? And I bet if we went around the room right now, we could tell all kinds of stories of the ways that we failed in the past or ways that we're failing right now. And so maybe for some of us, it would be like a diet or a workout routine that we've meant to start, we've talked about starting, or we have started, but every time you stand on the scale and you see that number, all you see is the word failure. You're not winning at this. Um, just by show of hands, are there any parents out there that feel like you're failing with your kids? Okay, good. I, thank you, Paul, for raising your hand. I thought I might be the only one here today, right? Like failure and parenting, they just seem to go hand in hand, don't they? You just, you're so afraid of all the ways that you're messing your kids up. Uh, maybe it's the constant disappointment you feel from not living up to your parents' expectations, or it's the fact that you don't feel like you fit in anywhere ever, at work or at school. There is, you just don't have your people, and you feel like a failure. Maybe it's the pain of a relationship that you thought was going to last forever or a career path that went up in flames. Whatever it is, whatever it was, whenever you think about it, whenever you're in it, there is a sick feeling in your stomach and there is a sting of humiliation that follows. And it's just, oh, it's such a painful thing to experience failure. But here's a question what about the other side of things when it comes to our spiritual life? when it has to do with our relationship with God? Have you ever failed there? Because you hear pastors like me talk about how good and loving and kind God is. And we say things like, yeah, he sent Jesus into the world as, as, his, as a man, as a son to die for all of our sin and failure. You can trust him. But here's the thing. If you know you the way I know me, I know that part of me. And all I see is a failure. How could God not see me as a failure too, right? And I I don't think I'm alone in feeling that way. So here's my question, what do we do with that? Do we just let that failure define us? Do we just take the hit and kind of pretend through the rest of life that everything's gonna be okay? Or do we just embrace the fact that we're a failure? Or is it possible, do you think maybe it's possible that God could meet us in our moments of failure and he could actually use them to redefine our future. Do you think that's possible? Think of your worst failure ever. Would it be possible he could use that for something great in the future? So today we're kicking off this new series and we're gonna be talking about those areas in life, those situations in life that have the potential to define us in all the wrong ways. You know, like when you feel lost and there's nowhere to turn. You're desperate and there's no hope on the horizon. Or you feel like a failure. There's no hope for the future. You you have just screwed it all up. Well, here's the thing. I, I find this fascinating. Thankfully, Jesus knew. Jesus knew that life has a way of beating us down. And in his most famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, he begins with these words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, if you're like me, you've probably thought, poor in spirit, what exactly does that mean? I've wondered that. But here's the thing. I made a discovery. Eugene Peterson, in his paraphrase of scripture called The Message, he says it like this. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. And you might not know what being poor in spirit means, but I bet I don't have to explain to you what it means to be at the end of your rope, huh? Because it means you're at your wit's end. You're frustrated about the situation that you're in. And it doesn't seem like there's any good options to get you out. You don't have any energy to fight your way out. The only thing left to do is to wave the white flag of surrender and just admit defeat. And failure is one of those things in our life that can get us to the end of our rope. And it just seems hopeless. And I know you've been there before. You're human. I've been there before. I feel like I'm there all the time. But here's what I want you to hear me say today. And I mean this we are in really, really, really good company because there's a man who knew Jesus better than any man that ever walked the earth. He was one of Jesus's best friends and failure for him wasn't just a daily occurrence. I think it was like a lifestyle. His name is Simon Peter. He knew Jesus better than anyone. And what we're gonna see as we look through his life today is there was failure upon failure upon failure. And every time he failed, Jesus showed up to say, hey, I'd like to help you with that. We're going to be looking at one of my favorite, actually, this is my favorite story in the Gospels today, because you're going to find yourself in this story, I promise you. If you want to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. You can click there on your phones or turn there in your Bible, and the Bible's around the room. That's going to be on page 714, Luke chapter 5. Now, I want to give you a quick side note. If you, like, if you enjoy studying through the Gospels, this is a great tool that you can use. It's called the Harmony of the Gospels, okay? And scholars have come together, and they have harmonized Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospel accounts of Jesus' life in chronological order. And here's why this is so cool. When you read the Gospels chronologically, what you discover in early in John chapter 1 is that Peter was one of the first four men that got to know Jesus before anybody else knew who Jesus was. And he got to know Jesus, and then Jesus invited him and a few guys to go to a wedding in Cana where he changed water to wine. And then Jesus went to their hometown of Capernaum to hang out with them for a while. And then after that, they went into enemy territory, into Samaria, and they got to see them interact with Samaritans, which Jews didn't do. Then they went to Jerusalem for Passover, and Jesus lost his cool, made a whip, and drove people out of the temple area. And then they joined Jesus into his hometown of Nazareth where they thought everybody would receive him well. But you know what happened? Jesus almost got stoned to death and thrown out of town. And so here's what's really cool. When you piece the gospels together like that, you realize before Jesus ever invited Peter or any of his buddies to follow him, he said, why don't you come and see what I'm all about first? I want you to know what you're getting yourself into. And here's why this is so important. Everything that I just told you took place over a year and a half, 18 months of traveling around with Jesus and getting to know him. And here's why this is so important. Because if you were to open up today the Gospels of Matthew or Mark, very early on in their accounts, you're gonna see this story that reads just like this. It says, one day Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he saw four brothers fishing on the shore. And he said, follow me and I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. And they said, well, let's do that. And they leave their boats and they leave their nets. And two of them left their dad in the boat and they went and followed Jesus. And when you read it, you're thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. They don't even know him. Here's the thing. When you piece it together chronologically, they had known him for a year and a half. They were making a very informed decision. And they said, let's go learn how to not fish for fish, but how to fish for people. And here's where the story gets so interesting. Because in Luke chapter five, Luke shares a story with us that happened after that. And we don't know if it was a few days. We don't know if it was a few weeks. We don't know if it was a month. But guess what? All those guys went back to fishing. They're all around the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is there. And I want you to pay very, very, very close attention to what happens. Find yourself in this story. So Luke 5.1 says this. One day as Jesus was standing by the Lake of Gennesaret, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So Jesus, at this point in time, had become a rock star. Everywhere he went, there were a crowd upon crowd of people that had come to see him, to, to hear his teaching. And so look, there's this problem. He's, he's kind of getting pushed up against the water's edge. So he gets into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon Peter. So Peter and his buddies are there. And he asked them to put out a little from the shore, and he sat down in the boat so he could teach. So just put yourself in the story. There's people crowding around everywhere. Jesus is pushed up against the water. He says, hey, Pete, I'm gonna need to use your boat. They hop in, they shove out, and he shoves way back like this so he can begin to teach the people. Now, I want you to imagine you're Peter. It's your boat, he's your friend, but you're sitting in the boat while he's teaching to a crowd of people. If I invited one of you to come up and stand next to me today while I was preaching, would that feel a little awkward for you? Would you wonder, like, what do I do with my hands right now? Jesus, like, what am I, like, just picture, imagine being Peter sitting in that boat, listening to him teach, and then after he teaches, who knows how long Jesus taught. After that, look at this, verse 4, when he had finished speaking, Jesus says to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. It's almost like he's saying, hey, Pete, you love to fish, Like, this is what you do for your job. We've never been fishing together. We're in your boat. We're on the water. Let's go catch some fish. And look at Simon Peter's response in verse five. Master, we've worked hard all night and we didn't catch anything. But because all the people are watching on the shore and because you kind of seem like you know what you're talking about most of the time, let's go and we'll let down the nets. Now, I want you to imagine you're Peter. We already know they fished all night. They didn't catch anything. So my guess is he's pretty tired. Been up all night, probably a little frustrated that he hasn't caught a thing. And I'm gonna guess he's a little embarrassed. You know why? Because a few days, a few weeks, maybe a month before, Jesus had called him away from fishing for fish to fish for men, and Jesus has caught him red-handed, and now Jesus is inviting him to go fishing. It sounds a little fishy. It sounds like Jesus is up to something here, doesn't it? And if I'm Peter and Jesus is my friend, I tend to get a little bit of a like have a little bit of a smart aleck attitude, and I'd be like, okay, Jesus, bless your heart. You're a great preacher. That sermon that you just gave was great. I've heard better, but it was okay. It was okay. But I'm a professional fisherman. Jesus, we didn't catch anything all night, okay? But you know what? sure, whatever, let's go fishing, right? You can almost, you just feel the tension. Put, imagine the tension in that boat, and then look at what happens in verse 5. Peter expects them to catch nothing. On top of this, there's a crowd watching. Peter's a professional fisherman. His reputation's on the line. They shouldn't catch anything. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, so there were other fishermen there to come over and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that the boats began to sink. If you have ever fished in your life, have you ever gone on such a great fishing trip that all your poles broke because you caught too many fish? And you caught so many fish that your boats began to sink. These guys are professional fishermen. I guarantee you they have never had a catch like this before. And my business degree says, what you do in a situation like this is you sell all those fish and you buy bigger boats and you buy stronger nets and you invite Jesus to go fishing with you every time you go because this is retirement. You could open a food truck. Jesus can change water to wine so people can you make a little money there and then you catch all these fish. You're rich, you are set for life. And I just imagine at this moment in time, Peter and his buddies high-fiving and celebrating. And this is it. Like we have finally figured out how to do this thing. And look at Peter's response in verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, can we please go fishing again tomorrow? Will you please teach me how to do the thing that you do so well? That's not at all what he says. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Doesn't that seem like a weird reaction? in the midst of everything that's taken place? And look at verse nine. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken in, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. All the same guys that Jesus had called to leave fishing, to fish for men, are are there. But instead of celebrating, Peter finds himself at the end of his rope, and he freaks out. And I think we have to ask this question, why? Why is he freaking out? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Well, here's what I think. This is my theory. I think Peter is thinking back to a few weeks before. And what he's really trying to say to Jesus is, hey, look, Jesus, I'm a failure, okay? You've, you called me to do something else, and I have not been obedient to you. And I know it, and you know it. I'm sinful. I'm a sinful man. You don't want to be friends with a guy like me Look, Jesus, I just mess everything up in life. This is just another example of what this looks like for me. I've given up on me. You should give up on me. Let's just part, Let's just part ways. Now, I bet if you're like me, you've been there before, haven't you? I bet you felt that tension. You want to do what God wants you to do, You want to pattern your life after following Jesus. You know that's a good thing. But if you're like me and you know you the way that I know me, you know that you've done some things, or let's just be real honest, you continue to do some things that you're not proud of. And you know that he knows about it. You swore you'd never go back to do any of these things again or respond these ways again. And so what you really want to say in your prayer time is, Jesus, look, I know that you can forgive anyone of anything, but I don't think you, I don't forgive me. I'm a failure. You shouldn't forgive me. I have wrecked my marriage. My kids want nothing to do with me. There's no hope for me anymore. My addiction has cost me everything that's dear to me. My career is a train wreck. I'm a joke. Nobody's gonna hire me. I don't fit in with anybody anywhere. I don't even know why I'm bothering to try anymore. Jesus, there's just no way around it. I'm a failure. I'm at the end of my rope. I've given up on me. You're smart. You should give up on me too. Have you ever prayed a prayer that honest? Have you ever felt that way? Failure is staring you in the face. I think that's how Peter felt in this moment in the boat. He was distressed. But thankfully for Peter and thankfully for us, Jesus has the last word in this story. Look at what he says in Luke 5.10. Then Jesus says to Simon, with all the people on the shore watching, with the boat sinking, with Peter freaking out right in front of him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, I'm gonna teach you how to fish for people. From now on, you will fish for people. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Jesus. Are you kidding me? Look at all the people watching this happen. Don't be afraid. How can I not feel like a loser right now? Now, I want you to do me a favor. This is gonna be a little awkward. I want you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. And I want you to imagine you're Peter. You're in that boat. I want you to imagine your tone of voice. I want you to imagine how you, if you're like me and you talk with your hands, you're flailing your hands and you're talking to Jesus. Now I want you to imagine what Jesus is gonna say back to you. When he says, don't be afraid, is he harsh? Is he condemning? Is he sarcastic? I think if Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus is who the gospel writers tell us that he is, I don't think he's any of those things. I think his voice is calming. I picture him reaching his hand out and putting his hand on Peter's shoulder and saying, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm gonna help you. I know you feel like a failure, but you don't have to be afraid. I don't see you the way that you see you. I see more potential in you than you could ever imagine. So you messed up, Peter. Don't be afraid. This doesn't have to define you, Peter. And if you're willing to work with me, I can use this failure to redefine your future. You can open your eyes. Can you imagine how freeing it would be to hear Jesus say those words to you? Imagine what it would have been like for Peter to hear those words from Jesus. And maybe the most important thing that Jesus wanted Peter to take away from this incident out there on the boat that day can be summed up in this very famous quote. And it's simply this failure is an event, not a person. Failure is an event not a person. Failure in our life is inevitable. It's guaranteed to happen. It is an unfortunate and harsh reality of living in this broken world. But even though failure is gonna occur in our life, Jesus says, look, it doesn't have to define you, especially if I'm with you. I can use this for something. And I think that this is what Jesus was reinforcing to Peter that day. Now, when I cut this cord off of this saw, I had to finish the product, project, okay? Okay and I began the long walk of shame to my friend Brad's house. He lives a couple houses down from me. Brad's a contractor. He's got every tool under the sun. He should have a tool rental agent. He would make lots of money if he would just rent tools to me. So I walk down, and I'm like, hey, Brad, can I use your saw? I have a little problem. He's like, sure, 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 and he gets it out, and I just feel, I grew up in a church tradition where you confessed your sins to people, and so I was like, probably important for you to know that I just cut the power cord off of my saw just like a minute ago. And he smiles at me real big as he's handing me the saw. And I thought, he's going to bless my heart. Here it comes. My friend Brad's going to bless my heart. And he goes, oh man, me too. And he holds the cord out and he shows me where he's cut it off and where he has restrung it himself, rewired it himself. And I felt like a little bit of less of a failure. I thought, oh man, like Brad, he's like Superman. He did that too. I, I, I think... This is what Jesus wanted Peter to feel. Hey, look, this is just one thing. Don't, don't lose your cool over this one thing. And so here's the question. How was Peter gonna respond to Jesus's invitation to not be afraid? Well, look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. Not just Peter, but all of his buddies. They pulled their boats up on shore and they left all the fish, all the boats, all the nets. And they began following Jesus in a new and different way. Now, that's a good story right? Isn't that the way you want your story with failure to end? Don't be afraid. I'll help you. Oh, awesome. Let's, okay, Jesus, show me how to do something different. And then you just move on with life. So let me ask you a question. Do you think that Peter was done with failure? Not by a long shot. Fortunately for us, not by a long shot. And if you read throughout the Gospels, you're going to see Peter's name mentioned, I think, more than any other disciple. And he's always trying so hard to get it right, and he gets it wrong. To his credit, Peter was the only disciple that got out of the water to walk, out of the boat to walk on the water, but very quickly his faith faltered and Jesus said, "Oh Peter, you have little faith." Later, uh, there was another time when Peter was with two of his buddies on a mountaintop with Jesus alone, and Jesus reveals his full glory to them in a private showing. And Peter gets so excited. He's like, "Oh, we should live here forever." And the voice of God speaks from heaven and says, "That is my son. Listen to what he says." Can you imagine being rebuked by God, the voice of God? Wouldn't you feel like a failure? This is Peter's life. The night that Jesus was arrested, they're arresting him. Peter takes out his knife and cuts a dude's ear off. His name was Malchus. Jesus picks the ear up, puts it on Malchus's head, heals him and says, would you put that thing away? This is not how this is supposed to go. Guy can't win. He told Jesus just moments before that, I will never deny you, Lord. And then later that night, he denies him three times. And the last time he denies Jesus, it was to a middle school servant girl. If anybody understands what failure is like in life, it's Peter. And I am so thankful that all of these stories are recorded because I feel like my story and his story, I'm just gonna hug him and cry when I get to heaven and be like, oh bro, you gave me so much hope. You have no idea. Because I always feel like I'm saying the wrong thing at the wrong time in the wrong way. I always feel like I'm overreacting as a spouse or a parent and I'm messing things up. I feel like I'm underperforming at work. Failure doesn't seem like an event for me. It feels like a lifestyle. And I'm so thankful for these words that Jesus says to Peter. And I have to imagine all those times that Peter messes up, I think he went back and just thought, okay, Jesus told me not to be afraid. He was gonna show me how to do something better. And so this week, I want to challenge every one of us to do something really unique. I want to challenge us to get alone in our quiet time. And I want you to think of the area or the areas of life where you're failing. And I want you to ask Jesus how, he's, how, he, would, how he would finish this question for you, or how he would finish this phrase. And you can jot this down in your notes. Don't be afraid. From now on, I will help you. What's he gonna say? Don't be afraid. uh, From now on, I'm going to help you. And, And pray and say, Jesus, how would you fill in that blank for me? And maybe he'll say, don't be afraid. From now on, I'm going to help you be the spouse that you promised to be. From now on, don't be afraid. I'm going to help you parent your children with love and grace. I'm going to help you keep your anger in check when you're coming unglued. Don't be afraid. I'm going to show you how to work with integrity. I'm going to help you overcome that addiction that enslaves you. I'm gonna help you find that perfect person or people that can take good care of you. Don't be afraid. I'm gonna help you live out my purposes in your life. Now, that might sound too good to be true, but if Jesus did that for Peter, I think he wants to do the same thing for us. Now, there's one more story from Peter's life that I think sums up his whole journey with Jesus and failure, and this is fascinating. I, I learned this this week, and I just think this is the coolest thing. When you study the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the stories of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all end their Gospels the same way. Jesus rises from the dead, he interacts with his disciples, he teaches them, and then he ascends into heaven. That's a pretty big way to end it, right? He floated into heaven and said, here's the mission. John in his Gospel ends differently. John ends... By telling a story in his last chapter, John 21, of an interaction that Jesus and Peter had together. So I'm going to set the scene for you. It's been about a week, 10 days since Jesus has resurrected. You've got to see your friend come back from the dead the way he promised. You know he's the Messiah. No one can destroy him, right? And so Peter finds himself hanging out with six other disciples, seven of the remaining 11 are together in one place and they're trying to figure out what to do with their life. And I want you to see what Peter decides to do in John 21, three, this is two years after the the event in Luke five, after they went fishing, right? Two years later, after the resurrection, John 21, three, Peter says, I'm going out to fish. okay, Peter, why don't you, sure, why don't you do that? That sounds like a terrible idea. Why not? You've just made a whole string of terrible, terrible ideas your whole life. And you would think that one of these six guys that are with him would be like, I don't think that's a good idea, Peter. Don't you remember like two years ago when we did that and he proved to us that we shouldn't do that? Look at their response. When Peter says, I'm going out to fish, they'll say, they said, oh, we'll go with you. That, we'll go with you. What a great group of friends, Right? They don't hold each other accountable. They don't stop each other from doing the things that maybe Jesus had said, "Don't don't get don't get distracted." They all go fishing and look at this. They went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. And this is where this story in John 21 starts to sound a lot like the story that happened 2 years before in Luke 5. And then look at what happens next in verse four. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize it was Jesus. And he calls out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, no. Who's that jerk on the shore? Why is he taunting us, right? I mean, put yourself in this story. They're tired, they're frustrated. The last time they did this, this is exactly what happens. And then the guy on the shore that nobody knows who it is, says, oh, I've got an idea from way over here on the shore. Why don't you just throw your nets on the other side, you dummies, see what'll happen. And look what happens. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And here's what is so fascinating about this story to me. Instantly, Peter knows that's Jesus. He's caught me red-handed again. And the last time this happened, he started whining and crying about what a failure he was. But you know what he does this time? He leaves his buddies in the boat. He jumps into the water and he swims to Jesus as fast as he could. He's not focused on being a failure anymore because I think he had learned a very important lesson. When Jesus is at your side, failure is an event that he can use to redefine your future. And maybe Peter went fishing that day because he didn't know what else to do with his life. Maybe he assumed I've denied him three times. He's not gonna want anything to do with me. I'm just gonna have to go back to the thing that I had done before. Maybe he was at the end of his rope and he didn't have a plan and he thought, I I just, this is it for me. Or maybe he just wanted to go fishing. I don't know, but I think when he jumps into the water that day, he leaves all of his buddies with all of those fish. He knew failure is an event that he can use to redefine my future. I want to be with him. And I think the same thing that's true for Peter is true for us when we face failure. Now, if you keep reading through John 21, again, this is so interesting. Jesus reinstates Peter. He forgives him 3 times for denying him 3 times. And they have this really interesting conversation and Jesus says, "Peter, here's what I want you to know from this day forward." In John 21:19, "I want you to follow me." I can use all your failures to redefine your futures, but you have to follow me. You have to do it. I want to show you how to do something different. And so I don't know where this story hits you today. I don't know where you struggle with failure. I don't know what it is, but do you believe that Jesus would want the same thing for you? He's that good to Peter. Would he be that good to us? So what would it look like for you to respond to him today? Maybe you've been walking with him for a while and you've reorganized your life around Jesus, but maybe you need to re-reorganize your life around Jesus. You need to admit your failures and say, okay, Jesus, show me how to do something better. Or maybe you've been sitting on the fence with Jesus for far too long and you see people get baptized and you think, hmm, not me, that wouldn't work for me. Well, maybe today's the day that you admit all your failures. You hand them over to Jesus you're baptized into him and you begin living a new life with him. But here's the thing that I think Jesus would want all of us to hear him say, don't be afraid because from now on, I am going to help you overcome that thing that you're letting define you. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for these stories. I thank you for how real they are. I thank you for the details, the people in them. I thank you for every every bit of it, Lord, because I think you're using these stories to help us know and understand what Jesus is really like. Jesus, would you speak to us and all of our weaknesses? Would you speak to us, no matter how far away from you we feel? Would you help us to identify those failures, to give them up to you and to trust that you are good enough to use them to redefine who you want us to be. Would you help us in this moment that follows to worship you with all of our heart in your goodness? Would you help us to let go of whatever it is that we're holding on to and to surrender the rest of our lives to you? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray, amen.